Hey, Murder With My Husband listeners, we're here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually actually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas. Garrett and I sometimes get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found a custom pickleball set for my pickleballer who, as you know, is obsessed with it. Now, it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleball, gift mode has you covered need to find the perfect gift don't panic try gift mode on etsy now everyone loves a good family mystery especially one with as many twists and turns as june's journey step into the role of june parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder you guys need to check out june's journey engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery danger and romance where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the Roaring Twenties and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Well, it's officially the holidays. I feel like it's been a while since we've recorded. It kind of has because we, the last week of November, we were celebrating my birthday, so we didn't record that week. Oh, we recorded too. Yeah. So we kind of stacked up there. So it has been a minute. Did you notice how Peyton didn't say Thanksgiving, but she said her birthday? Because it was my birthday. What's Thanksgiving? Exactly. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) That's funny. Garrett, is your red solo cup just sitting in our set? No. <laughs> okay. Can they see it? I probably, I don't know. <laughs> All right. My 10 seconds? Yep. I'm hopping right into my 10 seconds. Can you do it? Honestly, I don't really have anything super interesting for everybody. I'm sorry. But, oh, wait, there is a couple things. One, Peyton's first surprise is not here yet. She asked me every single day. In fact, yesterday she said, you didn't get me anything, did you? It's like what he did to his little sibling when he said, oh, I got you something, and then just waited for her to forget about it. I did that for like three years. Yeah. And then but- she forgot. Hey, Miley. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Miley. Poor Miley, but I feel like that's what you're doing to me. That's so funny. No, but I did get her something. It's not here yet, but it'll be here, I hope, soon. There's actually one person I told. There's only one person that knows. You're not going to tell me who? She's probably listening to this right now, and she you knows who she Sydney? is. Nope. Not Sydney. Um, second is there was a second surprise, but I can't tell you yet. I didn't know this. Yes. She's just finding this out right now. Guys, and I really don't think either are a puppy. I really don't think it it's because I've been saying it every day and every day he just looks at me and says, it's not a puppy. You guys will all find out though. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. So that will be my 10 seconds this week. Other than that, hanging out, it's getting colder. I'm playing pickleball, golf. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be more fun and cool, but whatever. <laughs> you are fun and cool. No, but other than that, that's it. So No, we watch um Selling Sunset. Yes. You know, 
I don't care. Judge me all you want. Selling Sunset is a good show. You need to watch so it. Good. Gary and I scream at the TV when we watch Selling Sunset. We do. I was like, we should live stream this because I think people would think it was hilarious and they'd love I they would have to be thinking exactly what we're thinking. I think it's my guilty pleasure. I love Selling Sunset. Okay, well, our case sources this week, there is a lot of them. So I'm going to list them all specifically in our episode notes and then just kind of group them here. So medium.com, a couple YouTube videos, um, one by Aeon Video and then the other by Krim. Some Wikipedia pages, another YouTube video by Dennis Romero, darktells.blog, foxnews.com, and then a couple Facebook pages. Facebook pages. Yeah, all you'll right. see why. Okay. All right. So as you guys know, we cover a plethora of true crime cases on this podcast, murders, abductions, disappearances, etc. And while simultaneously telling both all of you and Garrett these stories, there is always one question that Garrett is obsessed with. Do you know what that is? Where are the cameras? And I know Garrett loves it. And we as true crime fanatics love it when a good security camera comes in and solves these cases. That was not scripted, by the way. Anyways, keep going. Everyone knows you love the cameras. <laughs> so when the video footage answers all of the questions we had, like in the cases of Ying Ying and Colleen Ritzer. In fact, according to Matthew P.J. Ashby, security camera footage statistically significantly increases the chance of a crime being solved for most crime types. But there are times when camera video footage is found in a case and instead of helping, it leads to further questions, further mystery. And today we are going to discuss several mysterious disappearances, people's last known moments that were captured by security cameras, but the footage led to more questions instead of answers. Hmm. Footage that leaves everyone truly wondering, WTF. All right, so the first case we're going to talk about is a case where camera footage just led to more questions and this case might be considered a popular one. But Garrett has never heard this story, I'm assuring you guys. So if you have, you can hear Garrett's innocent reaction as someone who hasn't seen such bizarre and eerie footage when it comes to a true crime case. Okay. This case is that of Elisa Lamb. Now we could do a whole season just on this story. So there will be details that go unsaid because we don't have that kind of time, but please discuss any theories or details um, on our social media channels with respect to the victim. All right, so this footage takes place at a hotel and it's called the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Now the Cecil Hotel became notorious in LA with a haunting and lengthy past. It has a history of suicides and is actually housed more than one serial killer during its time. The Cecil Hotel was opened on Main Street on December 20th, 1924. It currently is a 19 floor hotel with 700 rooms, but it is constantly under construction. In the 20s, the hotel cost $1.5 million to complete. Wow. Which I knew Garrett would love that detail. That's crazy mm -hmm. in the 20s. Yeah. Um, only five years after it opened, though, the United States entered the Great Depression, and so the hotel began its descent. Um, Skid Row began growing right outside its front doors, and in 2011, the Cecil Hotel was rebranded as Stay on Main because by that point, so many deaths and darkness had overcome this budget and long-term stay hotel. Mm. So they were like, we like, they're constantly trying to like 
renew it, revive it, fix it, but no matter what, it's plagued. So by 2013, Elisa Lam, a Canadian student whose parents were immigrants from Hong Kong, decided to take a trip to California. She was very active on her blog turned Tumblr account about her dreams and her mental illness. She had actually dropped out of school after a relapse in her depression. She had been trying to go to college. It just wasn't working out. Elisa was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression, but a lot of people didn't know this detail until just barely like two years ago. Think about thinking about this case from everyone's point of view before you knew that she was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder okay. and um, depression. And she was actually on four medications at the time. But this trip to California was supposed to be the start of her traveling adventures, the things she'd always wanted. Like she was like, I'm gonna take a break from college and I'm gonna go do this. So after making her way through San Diego, on January 26th, Elisa arrived in LA and after two days, she checked into the Cecil Hotel. And like I said, this can be a long-term hotel. So many people lived here for short periods of time, like month, two months. Elisa was initially assigned to a shared room at the hotel, but her roommates actually ended up complaining about odd behavior from her. And mm. so she was moved to her own room only two days into her stay. During her travels, Elisa had been in contact with her parents in British Columbia every single day. But on February 1st, 2013, the day that Elisa was supposed to actually check out of the Cecil Hotel and leave for Santa Cruz, her parents never heard from her. And so they called the LAPD. After calling the LAPD, her parents flew out once they realized that Elisa was missing after no one could locate her in LA. And during all of this, like, oh, she's missing. Where is she? She's not at the hotel. A bookstore near the hotel actually said that she, the, the worker said she saw Elisa the day that she went missing, um, that she had come into the bookstore. She was outgoing and friendly. She was buying gifts to send back to her family. So police searched the hotel once they realized that she's like actually missing. They send in scent dogs from the basement to the rooftop of the hotel, but they find nothing. And they obviously didn't search all 700 rooms, but they did search some and Elisa's, which looked untouched. A week after Elisa had been missing, her family was posting flyers with her image online and throughout the neighborhood. But the problem is, is Skid Row is very transient with heavy, heavy drug use. So it was really hard to track Elisa's movements or who had seen her or if she might even be on the street currently. But there are so many people who live on the streets within Skid Row that they can't find her. Okay. Two weeks after the disappearance and nothing to show in the investigation, LAPD publicly released the security camera footage from the last known sighting of Elisa in the hotel. Weird. I wonder why they publicly released it. And this is a big part of this case for me okay. too, but I'm going to talk about that after you've seen the footage. Okay. So the footage was from February 1st. So the, like basically the last time her parents had heard from her. And these are the last known moments of Elisa Lam. No one has seen her since this security footage. And now if you are not watching on YouTube, you need to go watch the short two minute video if you haven't already seen it. This footage alone has a grip on the true crime community and the world in general. We'll post it on Instagram as well. Yeah, this footage- and Facebook 
is the reason that this case is so well known. It's actually the reason that there is a Netflix original docu-series covering this case. And I will warn you, this footage can be disturbing to some viewers once you know the context and that she ends up missing after you see what happens in this video. Oh my gosh, did she get taken by like aliens or something? I'm gonna show you the video now. Okay. Okay, so Garrett just watched the footage, but before he goes into what he thinks, I'm actually going to explain like the eeriest parts for those who are listening and don't have time right now to go watch it. So it starts with Elisa entering on an elevator, overly casual, like almost like she's acting. She kind of just walks in like, like just like, I don't know, it's just so normal. And she presses on a row of buttons, like all four or five of them. So that's when you're like, okay, what's she doing? Cause she's clicking more than one floor. And then she backs into the corner of the elevator with her face facing the door, waiting for the doors to close, which isn't that strange. I go to the corner of an elevator when I get in, but for some weird and mysterious reason that defies logic, which Garrett pointed out very quickly, the doors to the elevator don't Close. They're just open. They're just sitting there open. And I mean, this is like, we're talking two minutes of footage where these doors don't ever attempt to close. Yes, but she's also going in and out. And so, you know, when you go. But you know how normally like they try to close and then it's like, oh, something's it, there. Like pressure. Okay, it, that doesn't true. even happen. They that's don't true. even like try to close. Anyway, so this footage is just so, so trippy. But Elisa tentatively then like randomly tiptoes to the open elevator door. And I mean tiptoes. And then she manically jumps with one foot out of the door. Her back foot is still in the elevator and she's standing in a lunge and her front foot is outside of the elevator, her body leaning forward out of the elevator as well. She frantically looks from side to side down the hallways of the hotel and then randomly just eerily jumps back into the elevator, meeting her back foot into the middle of the elevator. And for me, this is the part in the footage where you're just like, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like something's obviously wrong. She stands in the center of the elevator, holding her hands clasped in front of her, like nothing happened. Like she didn't just randomly like jump out of the elevator and look around. Then she backs into another corner in the elevator. And at this point watching, it seems as if she's hiding from someone. Like you can tell that she's uncomfortable. She's trying to hide herself. And I have to point out at this point that the elevator doors have still not attempted to close. They're just sitting open. She waits for a while. And then she tiptoes back over to the open elevator entrance. Now, I don't know how else to explain this next part without describing her as kind of like trying not to step on certain parts of the floor for fear it will like set off a trap. Like, you know, in those movies where in order to get the treasure at the end of the cave, you have to do some like dance maneuver through the cave yeah, to avoid say, all the traps. It looked like she was dancing and then she was like waving her hands, hands in yes. weird emotions. Right, so that's what she's doing. Like meanwhile, acting like there is maybe someone outside of the elevator that she's scared of, I don't know. But it's like she's square dancing all in the entrance of the elevator. I don't know how this else to crazy. explain it. You guys, you need to go watch yeah. this. I mean, Peyton's explaining it well, but if you get time, please go check out our social medias because this, that was insane. Yeah. I think I was so mind blown watching it. I didn't even know how to react. Yeah. So she stands outside the elevator for a moment. She goes back in and she represses all of the buttons. The doors still don't close. And then she walks back out and stands outside the elevator again. You can still see her though. She's right by the doors. And it's while outside the elevator that she appears to be talking to someone dramatically with her hands. And this is what Garrett was talking about. But you, there's no one there that we can see, but she's mm -hmm. 
moving her hands around and it's very eerie for sure. She's kind of rolling her hands, counting her fingers, almost almost like she's like hand painting or finger painting. And it, like you said, it looks like she's talking to somebody. Yeah, but not there's no one there that we can see. There's no one see. visibly there. Yeah. Um, she walks out of the camera frame and then the freaking doors still don't close until after what looks like. Okay, so I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see the frame glitching? No, but that doesn't really get to me as much just because cameras glitch. Okay, so that was happening the whole time, by the way. The frame kind of glitches the whole time. She leaves and then finally the doors close. But that was two minutes of footage of her doing this. The door's not closing. And then the last minute of the video that the police released, remember, publicly, is just the elevator making its way to all of the floors that she pressed. Okay. So to me, when you asked why would they release this publicly? I'm kind of like, okay, cause maybe it, it does seem a little personal. Like she's obviously not, there's something wrong. And so to me, it's a little weird in that sense, but also why have a minute of footage of just the, no, there's no person, just the elevator going up and down. I can't stop thinking about this footage. It That's how everyone who's seen this footage knows exactly oh how gosh. you feel like, right I now. Have, I have so many different ideas and maybe I'll wait for you to start telling a little more, but I guess I'll say my initial thoughts. And then as you keep explaining it, I can go back. Yeah. But my initial thoughts are there's something wrong mm -hmm. um, that maybe she's on some sort of drugs. Mm -hmm. It looks like she's talking to things that yes, are not there. Correct. So that's kind of my initial reaction. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see, see where this takes us. Once you try Bombas, you'll never look at socks the same way again. They've obsessed over details like foot-hugging honeycomb arch support, anti-blister tabs, and cushioned footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet. Let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear. Bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear they're so soft they pay attention to details i just really really love bombas get comfy this spring and give back with bombas head over to bombas.com husband and use code husband for 20 percent off your first purchase that's b-o-m-b-a-s.com husband and use code husband at checkout fast forward to the end of 2024 think of your goals what can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding if you want to learn a new language you absolutely should get babble be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Hola. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. So a lot of people don't know that Garrett is actually fluent in Spanish, so I feel 
like I wanted to keep up my game and my goal is to be able to have a conversation with Garrett fully in Spanish by the end of the year. And I feel like I probably will hit that. Plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. This is the hard part for me. Here's a special limited time deal for you guys right now. Get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for you guys at babbel.com slash husband. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash husband, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash husband. Rules and restrictions may apply. So some more things about this footage that Garrett hasn't pointed out yet is number one, I don't know if you noticed, but the time code in the bottom is all glitched out. It's okay. not an actual time code. It, it's all messed up and no one, not the hotel or police can tell us why. They said it was just messed up. Second, the video looks glitchy the whole time, like we were talking about, but some people think it looks like it's cutting and coming together. But obviously no one from police mm. have clarified if this footage is edited. Some people think it might be edited because to save, like if if when the video was going up and down, like there were other people, they didn't want to release their, you know, their identity or whatever. And lastly, like Garrett said, something is wrong in this footage. Whether someone was tormenting Elisa externally or internally, she is not okay. And it's pretty obvious, which is why this footage was so devastating and mysterious when it was released. This footage literally goes viral the day it's released. Mm -hmm. And many theories begin popping up. Was she being haunted? Like this hotel is known for being haunted. It's known for um, like a ton of people taking their lives, a ton of murders. So was she being haunted? Was someone attacking her? Was she on drugs or was she having a psychotic break? These are all the theories that come up and they continue looking for her, the family and everyone, the police, but nothing really comes of it. Everyone's more just like, once again, they get security footage and now they're even more confused about what happened to her. But during this frenzy, guests at the hotel begin complaining of low water pressure some even claiming the water was black and tasted weird. So on the morning of February 19th, mm. Santiago Lopez, a hotel maintenance worker, made his way up to the roof where the access door is locked to all guests. You have to have a certain key to get up there. And he checked the four 1,000 gallon water tanks that sit on the roof of this hotel. And it was during this search that he saw through what he says was an open hatch Elisa Lamb's decomposing body lying face up in one of the water tanks no on top way. of the hotel. Just sitting in the water tank? And they've been looking for her. It's it, And what all of a sudden heck? they find her. So this devastating discovery, considering the fact that police had searched the roof with dogs just days after the disappearance, does not sit well with the public. Is there cameras on the roof? Like, where's the other cameras? No cameras on the roof. Not enough cameras. Not only was the missing student still at the hotel when they'd been looking for her, people were literally drinking and brushing their teeth with water containing her decomposing body. Oh, my god! So it was a really bad look for the hotel and the police, like just not a good scenario. The L.A. coroner issued that the cause of death was accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. So he basically said that she took her life accidentally while having a psychotic break. That's what he concludes. Elisa Lamb had been found naked with her clothing floating in the water with her as if she had undressed once in the water. Her watch and room key were also with her. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or intentional suicide. 
a very small dosage of her prescription medication was found in her toxicology report, along with a very small trace of alcohol, but no other drugs were found in her system. And when I say her medication, like a small dose, people um, assume that she either was not taking the required amount or was trying to get off of her medication at the time. Has anyone in her family ever said that she's had any sort of psychotic, psychotic breakdowns before? So her family said she struggled with mental illness, but that she never showed signs of like a psychotic break or signs of contemplating suicide. Okay. So that she had never like spoken to them about being suicidal. And she was not on drugs like ecstasy at the time of the video footage um, and her death if in her toxicology report there were no drugs in her system. How do you... How do you commit suicide in a water tank? Right. So maybe, though, she was on drugs that had broken down in her system during the time that she was floating in the tank. So I guess we won't know for sure because I guess there is a chance that they could have left her system during that time. The issue with the manner of death is that it was nearly impossible for Elisa to, number one, get on the roof as mm -hmm. a hotel guest because that door's locked unless an employee left the door propped open or opened it for her. And if she had tried to force the door open, an alarm would have triggered. She could have taken the fire escape from like the window to the roof, but that is a very dangerous method. And people are like, this would have been very complicated for her to do. But they did note in like the investigation that the scent dogs did lose her scent near her window. So maybe she climbed out of her window and got on the fire escape. But most people are like, it. it that's a very hard way for her to get up there. Okay. It's rumored that two of the lids to the water tanks were open, so she could have, you know, climbed in the water tanks, but the hotel said, no, they were closed. So this mm. has been a source of issue because they were very heavy to remove. It would have been very hard for her to remove those herself, and the hotel's like, no, they were all on. Other people are like, no, there were two that were open. Like, like it could have just been the hotel covering for themselves. Yes. There were also no fixed access to the water tanks. So hotel workers, when they would go into these water tanks, when um, Santiago, who discovered her, went up to discover her, they had to use ladders. Like there was no way to climb on top of these water tanks without a ladder. Oh, like uh, bringing a portable ladder. Oh, so, so there was no ladder attached to the water tank? That, that's, what, that's what they said. They said that they would have to use ladders to look into the water to be able to get up there and get into the water. Ooh, interesting. People also argued that the autopsy findings um, were you know, suspicious because they had a lack of detail and her phone was never found which is a little weird if it was her, of her own will because who took it, where to go, you know what I mean? According to medium.com, the disappearance shows eerie similarities to that of the 2005 film Dark Waters, which I've never seen, but the movie is based on the short story Floating Water, where a mother and her daughter find dark water leaking from their bedroom ceiling, and eventually the mother finds out that there had previously been a missing girl living in the room above theirs who accidentally drowned in the hotel's water tank. How is it even possible? I don't know. Elisa's case is technically closed, but most people are very unhappy with the theory that she could have somehow maneuvered her way onto the roof, climbed into the tank without a ladder, maybe or maybe not got the lid off and dropped into the tank, all while somehow ridding her phone and just earlier that day happily buying books at a bookstore for her family back home. It just doesn't make sense to me that she would take her life by jumping in a water tank. Like That seems super suspicious to me. At least on purpose, right? Correct. So she did seem scared 
however, and paranoid um, in the video footage that you watched. So she might have jumped in the water tank to hide from whatever was tormenting her. I feel like in the footage, it clearly looks like she's trying to hide or get away. She's clearly unwell. Um, maybe she jumped in trying to hide only to realize that there wasn't a way to climb back out. So she took her clothes off because she was struggling. She wanted to lessen her weight. That's where I'm ending the story. There's a whole bunch more details because we're going to- Oh, we're stopping there? It's not, it, the case is closed. There's no answers to this case. It's an, I mean, it's an unsolved, solved mystery. So that's it? Yeah. That's all you're giving me? That's all I'm giving you. Because we got to move on. We got more stories. But this is just our first case of mysterious footage. But I will say she was very open about her mental health. I think mental illness is something that we don't clearly understand. And I think it is something that could have led to this outcome. So when I piece things together, I don't know. I'm not going to take a stance on it because I clearly don't know. Something suspicious is going on in my books. I also think that there might be ghosts in that hotel, okay? Something crazy is going on. Okay. But like Peyton said, I'm sure there's a ton of theories, so let's go to the, let's go to the next one. So our next case actually takes place in June of 2014. 28-year-old Lars Smithank is a German traveler visiting the Golden Sands Resort in Varna, Bulgaria. He is actually on holiday with his friends. Lars and his friends had actually arrived in Varna on June 30th, 2014. They were hanging out, partying, doing what you do on vacation with your friends. But a week into the vacation, while drinking with his friends at the bar, Lars got into a fight. He was a fan of a certain team and some rival fans were at the same bar. So, you know, sports and trash talk and it resulted in a bar fight. After the fight broke up, Lars actually stormed out of the bar alone to cool off. But once gone, his friends were unable to find him for the rest of the night. But the next morning, Lars surprised his friends by showing back up to their resort room. And he told them that he had been beaten all night by the four men from the bar or that those men had hired someone else to beat him up. It kind of depends on which mm. friend you talk to. Okay. But either way, the premise of the story is that the fight extended far beyond the bar when these men had exacted more brutality onto Lars. Lars and his friends decided to find a doctor to take a look at Lars because he had been beaten up and they needed to assess his injuries. They were supposed to leave for home soon. And so they wanted to make sure he was okay before they left. After the visit, the doctor concluded that Lars had a cracked jaw and a ruptured eardrum. Oh, geez. The doctor prescribed him antibiotics and advised Lars to not fly that day with the rest of his friends because the pressure from the plane would not do anything good for his ruptured eardrum. And so he told Lars to hill up for a couple days in a hotel, let his friends, you know, fly home, and then he can fly home after his friends. And although not wanting to leave their friend, Lars assured them that he was fine. So they all checked out of the resort and his his friends left for the airport while Lars checked into Hotel Color Varna for one night to try and rest his ear before he leaves. Okay. And it was at this hotel that Lars started to behave in a way that stood out to other guests and his family. He began acting paranoid that the four men from the bar were still after him. He actually hid in an elevator for an extended period of time and then eventually left the hotel around midnight. He returned hours later, but the front desk didn't know where he had gone and he didn't tell anybody. During this time, he called his mother and in a hushed voice told her that there were some men following him, wanting to know what drugs he got from the doctor. And he felt like, you know, they were targeting him and he was scared and that she needed to go cancel all of his credit cards. What? Yes. And so she's worried about him because he's obviously acting strange, but... 
Despite all of this, the next day, Lars made his way to the Varna airport to try oh. and catch a flight back home. So it seems like everything's fine. Yeah. So at the airport, he met with another doctor to try and figure out if his ear was healed enough to board a plane home. And it was while the doctor was examining Lars that a man who was working on construction at the airport walked up, interrupted the doctor and Lars to ask something. Wait, so the doctor was at the airport? Yeah. There's like an airport doctor. They oh. have those still. Like if, if someone gets hurt, there's a doctor oh, at the airport. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's who he was with just trying to say, do I have clearance to fly? I thought he like made an appointment with... No, okay, no, Okay, no. got it. When the construction worker comes up and interrupts him suddenly Lars stood up and frantically fled the doctor um, and worker leaving his bags behind and this is where our footage comes in taking charge of my health is all about being super conscious of what I fuel my body with whether it's food or supplements I'm constantly on the lookout for the top choices and that's why I'm stoked to share with all of you thorn Thorn takes a personalized, innovative, and scientific approach to health and wellness with their supplements. They manufacture all their supplements in the U.S. using top-notch ingredients sourced globally. Plus, they team up with leading medical professionals to bring you highly effective nutritional supplements. Whether it's their B-complex, creatine, magnesium, or basic prenatal, Thorn's got all the supplements I need to help promote and maintain my health goals. You guys, I'm actually taking the B-complex vitamins every single morning, and I feel like it enhances my my energy and mood, especially if we've been eating a little bit unhealthy. With Thorn, we never have to question what's in each supplement because they go the extra mile when it comes to quality, manufacturing, and ingredients. Give your body what it really needs with Thorn. Go to thorn.fit slash husband and use code husband for 10% off your first order. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot F-I-T slash husband code husband for 10% off your first order. Thorn dot fit slash husband code husband these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration the product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease okay you guys the weather is getting warmer so it's time to put away the jackets and sweaters and bring out the shorts and the tees i wanted to update my wardrobe not just for the season but for the long haul without spending a fortune and luckily i found quince now i've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year and i'm gonna be honest one of the outfits i'm wearing to our live show is from quince that's what i'm talking about like premium european linen dresses blouses and shorts from 30 dollars washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They actually partner directly with top factories, so Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman um, and passes the savings on to you. So like I said, I just bought one of their silk skirts for the live show, and I'm so excited. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com husband for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash husband to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash husband. So as you saw, suddenly Lars did stand up and literally flee the yes. room with the no, doctor. Guys, he took off. Yeah. So in the footage, you can clearly see Lars calmly enter the airport with his bags, right? He's calm. He's walking. Everything seems normal. He gets directions to the doctor. And then as if out of the blue, Lars comes full on sprinting out of the doctors and through the airport. Huh, Garrett? He took off. He came sprinting and then he just kept running. It just didn't stop. Oh, he's running Usain Bolt without his bags through the airport to the exit. Like he's 
beelining to the exit. You know how far he went from the airport? Yeah. So once he exits the front doors, it's almost like he doesn't know where he's running to. He stops and then immediately shifts direction, sprinting to the left. He kind of slows to a walk, but a, a rushed walk as he makes his way to the outskirts of the airport by foot. And because we don't know the layout of the airport, it's hard to make out. But people who do know the layout say that one of the last times in the footage, at the very end of the security footage, you can see Lars. He's literally scaling a fence and hopping over it and then continues running into the forest line, never to be seen again. That's literally the last footage anyone has of Lars and the last time anyone has ever seen him or talked to him. What in the world? And it was of him leaving his bags in the airport, taking off by foot, literally scaling fences into the forest in a place he doesn't even know. This isn't his like. The only thing I think that could have happened is those guys showed up at the airport. It freaked him out. So he ran, but. No one's chasing him. One, no one's chasing you. And two. You're in an airport, like you're in a well, safe and space. According to the doctor, the construction worker walked in. It wasn't like they were alone in a room. It wasn't like. But was a construction worker one of those guys that he, nobody knows? All of a sudden spooked, got up and went sprinting out of the room, leaving his bags there. What the heck? That's Never insane. to be seen again. Okay, on to the next one. So the next case we will discuss today, the next mysterious footage case is that of Jennifer Kessie. Jennifer was born on May 20th, 1981. She graduated from Vivian Gaither High School in Tampa, Florida, and attended the University of Central Florida in Orlando to get her finance degree. Jennifer was working as a finance major and had actually just bought a condo home in Orlando. In January of 2006, Jennifer went on vacation with her boyfriend to the Virgin Islands. She returned to Orlando on Sunday, January 22nd and stayed the night at her boyfriend's home instead of like going straight from the airport to her home. The next morning she woke up, that's Monday, January 23rd, and she drove straight from her boyfriend's home to work. That night around 6 p.m., she left work and called her dad on the phone while driving home. And then after getting home and winding down, Jennifer called her boyfriend from her home around 10 p.m. for a goodnight call. The next morning, Tuesday, January 24th, around 7.30, Jennifer left for work again. It was between 8 and 9 a.m. that morning that Jennifer's boyfriend began to grow confused as he waited for Jennifer to call or at least text him. Jennifer almost always called or texted her boyfriend while on her way to work. That is when they usually said their good morning. But when neither came, her boyfriend tried to call her, but his call went directly to voicemail. He chalked it up to the fact that she had mentioned that she had an important meeting that morning at work. So maybe she had just forgot to call him and then turned her phone off. Throughout the day, he continues to try and get a hold of her, but to no avail. And while Jennifer's boyfriend is struggling to get a hold of her, her workplace is frustrated, then worried when Jennifer fails to show up for work at all that day. Her employer decides to call her parents and alert them about Jennifer's absence and ask, you know, just check in, make sure she's okay. Was she sick? Why hadn't she shown up? But Jennifer's parents also hadn't heard from her since she called her dad the night before. They had no idea where she was either. So around 11 a.m., they called Jennifer's boyfriend to see if he knew where she was. They said, hey, she didn't show up for work. Is she with you? Do you know where she is? But we all know that he was worried all on his own already about her. 
So with nobody able to locate Jennifer or get a hold of her, her parents begin the drive from Tampa to Orlando, obviously now very alarmed. They're just going to go check in at her home, make sure everything's okay. At 3 p.m., Jennifer's parents and her brother arrive at the condo and they discover evidence that leads them to believe that Jennifer had been there that morning, but her car is missing out of the parking lot. They decide to call the police, but Jennifer is an adult whose car is missing, so they tell her parents like they can't do much until more time has passed. Like she's an adult and her mm -hmm. car is missing. So okay. she could be anywhere. At 5 p.m. that night, Jennifer's friends and family begin hanging up missing person flyers and spreading the news. They're like, nope, something is wrong. She wouldn't do this. And with the attention spreading for Jennifer, police decide to send a detective out to her home and begin questioning and investigating. They discover that there was no sign of forced entry or struggle in her apartment. So their first conclusion is that if she is really missing and has met foul play, it most likely happened on her way from her front door to her car when she was heading for work, not inside the house. Police, family, and friends spend the whole next day searching, questioning, and worried about Jennifer, but nothing really comes of it. But the next day, Thursday, January 26, two days since Jennifer went missing, around 8, 10 a.m., a tenant from a nearby housing complex, literally that's only 1.2 miles away from Jennifer's home, is watching the news. They see Jennifer's picture and hear about the missing person and her missing car. And it's then that the tenant realizes something. They think that Jennifer's missing car is literally parked right outside their apartment in the mm. parking lot of the complex. It's only a mile away. Weird. They call police and explain, well, I don't know, but it's the same description. And the car's been sitting here for a couple days. No one's come to it. It hasn't moved. So police obviously head over to the complex and they confirm that the car is in fact Jennifer's two. 2004 missing Chevy Malibu. It had been parked in a nearby parking lot. It's at the parking lot when police realize that there are cameras that if working would have seen this car pull in. And so this is where our eerie security footage comes into play for this case. You don't think it's her? No way. Okay. What do you guys think? Let me explain it to him. So when police watch the security footage, they scroll back and discover that the car was parked back on Tuesday, January 24th, the day that she went missing. And although the camera is far away at first, you can clearly see the car drive in and park in the parking lot at 12 p.m. That would have been during the time that her parents were driving from Tampa to Orlando to check on her. Okay. Her car is being parked in a parking lot a mile away from her home. The car pulls in, it parks, and then you can see someone get out of the driver's seat and close the door. They turn away from the car and they begin slowly walking away, making their way out of the parking lot, walking all the way across like the parking lot. Mm -hmm. You can see it on the camera. It's very far away, so it's impossible to make out any characteristics besides the fact that someone... And I don't think it's her. Just, I mean, yes. That's my opinion. Garrett doesn't think it's her. Someone just parked her car There's no way. in a parking lot near her home while her parents were trying to find her. This person is obviously involved in whatever happened. No questions asked. Why would they have her car? Why would they be parking it, right? There's no way. There's no way that was her, what I just saw. So, I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert, but that did not look like her. I don't think it did either. But police then track the person walking and they find another camera. And I think this camera is like from a front door. That's mm -hmm. what I'm assuming. So a residential area. And this time the camera is closer and you can like spot the person walking. So when they get a hold of the footage, they know they will finally have a face to release to the public in this case. A person of interest, a suspect. But there's zero face in that. But the camera, 
that captured the person the second time is shot in still frames. So it's kind of skippy mm, because yeah. it's basically just takes like a picture every two seconds or whatever. So the angle of this footage is from behind a fence. The camera is pointing at the road and the sidewalk where the suspect is walking. So you can see the person walking behind the iron fence that's like probably fencing off the home. The problem is that once police watch the footage like Garrett just did, they can't believe their eyes. The three images that shows the person of interest are of no help. I mean, you can see what they're wearing. You can see their shoes. It's a very clear image, but each still picture, the person's face is obstructed behind a fence post. Like literally, what are the chances that the snapshots are taken at the only time that the person is behind those two thicker posts? What, um, does she have longer hair? Yes. So there's no way that was her then. Because the person that they captured... Well, you can't really see the head. ...had short hair. Yes. I mean, it doesn't look like they have hair, but also it is behind a fence post. There's no way, guys. The face is concealed. The head is basically yeah. concealed. You can't see it. Basically, this iron fence is like skinny irons and then like the thick posts that's like the... I don't know, probably the structure or whatever. Yeah. And each time that person is walking, its head is behind one of those thicker posts. So you can see the body, but each time it snaps, its head is concealed. And that was it. Well, so police are basically stunned at this point because they now have two different videos of this person of interest with no leads. The suspect is described as the luckiest person of interest ever. They were captured on two cameras, but hidden the whole entire time. The FBI was called in to try and help, and they determined from the footage that the person was five foot three oh. or five five. They couldn't determine a possible gender from the footage. So I personally think that it looks like a male. But I I'm do not too. sure. Like I said, you can't see the face, but the boots. I also feel like it looks like they might be wearing a jumpsuit. So to me, I don't know. It just the outfit looks more masculine than feminine to me. Yeah, I don't but know. I don't know. I wear I wear very masculine outfits sometimes too. So I don't know. The police searched her car and found that it was wiped down, only collecting a latent print and a small DNA fiber. Her cell phone, iPod, keys, purse, briefcase, as well as her, are missing. Using scent dogs, the dogs traced a distinct scent from Jennifer's car back the way the person on the video footage walked and all the way to Jennifer's apartment. So police believe that the person dropped the car like we saw and then walked on foot, passing that house like we saw, the mile back to Jennifer's apartment. Weird. So everyone in her life has been interviewed, but everyone has also been cleared. The FBI now have custody over this case, but once again, the video footage does not help us solve it. That's crazy. It's because the video footage sucked. Like, how do we have footage of people's last moments? Like, literally, all three of those people were the last time they were ever, I mean, well, not really her, because we don't know if that's her or not, but footage that should help us solve a case like we said like it's yep. inevitable if you have footage we've seen so many cases that are solved by footage but these ones just make it more of a mystery so these cases were just three of many disappearances that have been caught on camera but remain unsolved or unsolved but solved we will cover more of these in the future obviously but until then if you know anything about these disappearances that could help solve the case please contact authorities because there's still so much information missing in almost all of these. Those are the mysterious disappearances caught on camera. What's sad is they're just gone too. Right? The last moments we That's ever see. horrible. They're just gone. And I think there's something to like, you know, sometimes people do want to disappear. For all we know, Jennifer could have set that up or any of them. Well, not Elisa, but either of those could have set it up and, you know, willingly chose to yeah, disappear. Maybe. 
but there's still a family out there looking for them. This is weird, yeah. All right, thank you everyone for listening. I do want to remind you that if you want to check out our Patreon and help support the show, you can find that at patreon.com slash murder with my husband. And we will see you guys next week with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Goodbye.